and a very good day. This is Pastor Mark Whelan with Touch of God. Welcome back to this week's program, and we're continuing the, this mini-series on faith. And when we think about it, the believer is seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So the Lord wanted his disciples to pray that the Lord's will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven, and to get the will of the Father onto the earth from heaven. We have to believe by faith and speak on the earth what we know the Lord would want done on the earth as it is in heaven. And the way to get those things done, the way to lay hands on the sick and believe that they are healed and that they shall recover, the way to cast out demons, the way for the will of God to be done on earth in people's lives is to believe by faith in things that you cannot see with your naked eyes but you know the Lord's nature and you know his love for his creation. And he just wants you to speak his will into existence by faith. So that is why we're spending a long time speaking on faith, because if we can understand faith and remove any grain of doubt, unbelief, or fear, you will see an amazing improvement in your life and the lives of others around you that need to be reconciled back to God, that need to be healed, they need to be set free, they need to be delivered from all the problems that they're going through. When God has paid so much for them to be a new creation and for them to be completely set free. So it is easier to believe than we think. It is easier to use the equal measure of faith God has given to each of us than we actually realize. If we base our understanding of how effective our faith is based on whether we see something quickly, that can be a problem and introduce doubt, which will immediately cancel the faith that you were operating in right up to the moment you agreed with the doubt. So we must not base our understanding of how effective our faith is based on if we see an answer from God quickly or not. Because the answer may be coming, but if you depend on a quick answer and you do not see it, you may go into doubt, and that will cancel what was going to happen eventually by faith. Because you cannot mix doubt with faith. You cannot mix unbelief with faith. You cannot mix fear with faith. Those three things are opposing faith. We have to have pure faith without doubt, unbelief, or fear. As you'll recall, Jesus said, For truly I say to you, if you have faith that is living like a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to yonder place, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Now, it's interesting that the Amplified Classic Edition here says, that is living. And it says here, for truly I say to you, Jesus said, if you have faith, that is living like a grain of mustard seed. Now, a lot of the time you'll hear the verse without the words that is living in it. That's because the other versions may not have that. But the Amplified Classic draws out more richness in every verse in the Word of God. And that's why we teach from it every time. So the faith that you have been given an equal measure of, it needs to be activated. It needs to be made alive. And it's made alive 
when you mix works with it, and no doubt, unbelief or fear. We know this because in James chapter 2, verse 17, it says, So also faith, if it does not have works, deeds and actions of obedience to back it up, by itself is destitute of power, inoperative and dead. That's why you hear that verse in other versions where it says, Faith without works is dead. So all it needs is a tiny bit of faith that is alive with no doubt and unbelief mixed in, and it will be done for you. What you believe for will happen, particularly if it is God's will for it to happen. That is where it also helps to know God's nature, because you will know what is a prayer that brings about his will upon the earth. You know what he would want done in a situation, because you know your Heavenly Father, you know your Lord Jesus, and Jesus, according to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, is the exact imprint of the nature of the Father. So you know their nature, you know their character, you know what they would want you to do in a situation, and if you're still not sure, then you just look to what Jesus did when he was here on the earth. He's our model. We're supposed to follow him. It is also important for you to know that you have not doubted the moment you receive a doubtful thought. Let me repeat that. You have not committed a doubt. You have not taken the action of doubting the moment that you receive a doubtful thought. You have not sinned until you agree with the doubt. So you may hear a doubt that says, well, what if it doesn't happen? And then the moment you agree with it and walk the other way and no longer pray for the person because you doubted, that's when you're in sin. Because you agreed with the doubt and now you're no longer in faith. And the person is still not set free because you walked away. So this is why we must take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. Line up the thought that you just heard with Scripture to see if it is the truth or a lie. We are to cast down vain imaginations and refute arguments and theories and reasonings and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. So last week we ended on 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, where it says, Examine and test and evaluate your own selves to see whether you are holding to your faith and showing the proper fruits of it. Test and prove yourselves, not Christ. Do you not yourselves realize and know thoroughly by an ever-increasing experience that Jesus Christ is in you? unless you are counterfeits, disapproved, on trial, and rejected. So the question we have to ask ourselves today is, is there any unbelief in me? Remember the demand that came with the boy to Jesus, and he said your disciples could not cast out the demon, and Jesus ended up delivering the boy from the demon. And then the man said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. So we may believe that we believe today. We may have accepted that we believe, but is there any unbelief, any doubt or fear lingering in different situations? One way is to ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, can you reveal to me 
any unbelief, doubt, or fear in my heart over any aspect. We must remove any doubt, unbelief, or fear in us. To not be in doubt, we must know the truth, but accept it as the truth for us and for others too, since God is no respecter of persons. To not be in fear, we must accept that the Lord establishes a table for us in the midst of our enemies, and they cannot touch us when we abide in Christ, when we make Him first in all things, all decisions, and all actions. Our heart should be one of considering the Lord's will in all things we do. His will is better than our will, until ours matches His. Psalm chapter 91, verse 1. I'm sure you know this verse. This is the Amplified Classic Edition version of it. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall remain stable and fixed under the shadow of the Almighty, whose power no foe can withstand. Only the one who dwells in the secret place then with the Lord shall be protected from the schemes of the demonic forces. So it's a complete choice. You either dwell or you do not dwell. We know from James chapter 1, verse 1 to 5, that a person who is double-minded will not receive anything from the Lord. One example of double-mindedness is we will say that we believe that the Bible is true. But when we get a serious temptation or a situation, our faith becomes tested. A thought comes perhaps from the enemy, perhaps from a memory of something or a bad experience earlier in life, and we are now in two minds. What if it doesn't work? What if God doesn't heal me? What if I step out and pray for someone and they don't get healed? It will be embarrassing. Did God really say? Satan was manipulating Eve with the same thoughts and temptations in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle and crafty than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And he, Satan, said to the woman, Can it really be that God has said, You shall not eat from every tree of the garden? So Satan uses the same tactics today because unfortunately these tactics still work on many Christians who do not know enough of the Word of God, do not know enough about their identity in Christ, their position in Christ, above all evil principalities, and furthermore, do not know the spiritual authority that God has already given them to use to declare God's will over a situation and see it manifest by their faith. Imagine a police officer walking down the street. He or she sees someone trying to burgle someone's home, but the officer walks on by, not knowing the authority he has to bind to arrest the burglar and remove him from the person's property. So think of the burglar as a sickness or a demonic spirit, and that person's home as their body and soul. The police officer had uniform on, but did not know his or her role and his or her ability in the name of the law of that city, to be able for him to have the power and authority to be able to evict and arrest that burglar. That is a Christian today who doesn't know who they are in Christ, does not know that they can speak to a spirit, they can speak to a sickness and cast it out. They don't know who they are in Christ, and the devil continues to take advantage of 
individuals in that situation. The devil continues to take advantage of people who do not know the truth. Remember, the truth shall set you free, but if you don't know the truth, you're not free. You're still bound even if you think you're free. You don't know any different. When you have nothing to compare with because you never read the truth, then you think that your situation is the norm. But it's not the norm. The truth has yet to set you free because you don't know it and have not received it and accepted it for yourself. This is why we must become renewed in our mind to the Word of God, such that we can prove God's will because we decide to settle it in our heart, that God's Word is true, He is faithful, He has done what He has done at the cross, at the whipping post. His nature is such that He heals all who come to Him. He came to destroy the works of the enemy, and He succeeded in defeating the devil. Not knowing the truth and walking in it allows us to continue to be deceived, taken advantage of, and attacked by our enemy, physically through sickness, but also emotionally in our soul. A blind person who cannot see doesn't know when someone is about to swing their fist at their head. They unfortunately get wounded every time. Second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 says, For the God of this world... now." God here is a lowercase g, and it's Satan. So, for the God of this world has blinded the unbelievers' minds that they should not discern the truth, preventing them from seeing the illuminating light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the Messiah, who is the image and likeness of God. And talking of renewing the mind to the truth, the scripture for that is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It is such a critical verse in your identity in Christ, your understanding. You need to read the Bible so that you can update your understanding on something so that your understanding is God's understanding, not your own understanding that you have always leaned on in the past. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, and here is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He said, Do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in His sight for you. So when we have read the Bible about divine healing, for example, accept that the verses are true about God's will for healing, that he's paid for everybody to be healed. He's already healed everybody according to the word of God, and that Jesus has indeed paid for our healing by his scourging, Isaiah 53 verse 5. And we have fully accepted that truth as being for us and for anyone we pray for, We then have renewed that part of our mind on that topic. When you are a doer of the word and not just a hearer, you are no longer deceiving yourself. You are doing the word. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, But be doers of the word, obey the message, and not merely listeners to it. Betraying yourselves into deception by reasoning contrary to the truth. Now, let's have a look at this verse a little slower, because often we hear this verse in other versions. It says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, 
deceiving yourself. And that's what it's saying here, but it's going into a little bit more detail. It says, but be doers of the word, obey the message, and not merely listeners to it, betraying yourselves into deception by reasoning contrary to the truth. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. So if you read these verses where Jesus is saying, go out into all the world, believers, they shall lay hands on the sick. If you read these verses, if you're hearing these verses, but you're not doing them, then you're actually betraying yourself into a deception by reasoning contrary to the truth. That means that you're justifying not doing. You're somehow reasoning with yourself not to do the word based on something that's contrary to the truth. So the goal is you will lay hands on the sick, see them recover, however long it takes to stand in faith for that person to be healed. And then when you witness the healing, the devil can no longer speak doubtful thoughts to your ears. Or if he does, you'll know instantly that's a lie because I know that God heals because I saw this person last week get healed when I believed by faith for their healing. You will know that you are hearing a lie because you know the truth has set you free in that area. Now you can be a blessing to countless people who are bound with a sickness or a demon that needs to be cast out. So when you know the truth, you understand the nature of the Lord, his heart for his creation, such that he sent his son to die for everyone. You are in pure faith, and no doubt an unbelief exists anymore. You are going to see a miracle. You are going to see God's hand brought to bear in this matter. You provided the faith. God provided the power to restore, to resurrect, to heal, to make whole. God wants to show himself mighty through you, according to Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, where it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose hearts are blameless toward him. That's where he's looking to see who he can send. Who will go for us, the Bible said. Who will go for us? Who will go across the street to pray for the lady in the wheelchair? Who will go to the bar, to that gentleman, to tell him about Jesus? And that Jesus can completely deliver him from alcoholism, addictions, drugs, pornography, whatever it may be. Now, a single-minded person in Christ Jesus should know their enemy, but especially know that it is the name of Jesus that they can use against any type of a problem. So, We must try not to work out how God is going to get it done. Just believe that he will. Sometimes focusing our mind on a situation will cause you to doubt and end up out of faith because your logic says, it's impossible. I don't know how God is going to get me out of this situation, so I don't believe it will happen. And that thinking results in a cancellation of whatever faith you were using towards God's divine intervention in the first place. Now we know the verse, faith without works is dead. James chapter 2, we're going to read it in a moment. So faith with unbelief is no faith, which is also dead. So you cannot say that you're in faith if you're doubting, if you're in unbelief. James chapter 2, verse 14 to 26. What is the use, prophet, my brethren, for anyone to profess to have faith if he has no good works to show for it, Can such faith save his soul? If a brother or sister is poorly clad and lacks food for each day, 
and one of you says to him, Goodbye, keep yourself warm and well-fed, without giving him the necessities for the body, what good does that do? Verse 17, So also faith, if it does not have works, deeds and actions of obedience to back it up, by itself is destitute of power, inoperative and dead. Actually, let's pause here. It's destitute of power. There is no power, even if you believe by faith. But if there is no works, there is no power in that faith because there is no works with it. It is also inoperative, it says here in verse 17. So it doesn't operate. Faith is not going to operate anything in the supernatural realm because it's inoperative and dead without works. Verse 18. But someone will say to you then, You say you have faith, and I have good works. Now you show me your alleged faith apart from any good works, if you can, and I by good works of obedience will show you my faith. You believe that God is one, you do well. So do the demons believe, and shudder in terror and horror, such as make a man's hair stand on end and contract the surface of his skin. Are you willing to be shown proof? you foolish, unproductive, spiritually deficient fellow, that faith apart from good works is inactive and ineffective and worthless? Was not our forefather Abraham shown to be justified, made acceptable to God by his works when he brought to the altar as an offering his own son Isaac? You see that his faith was cooperating with his works, and his faith was completed and reached its supreme expression when he implemented it by good works. And so the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed in, adhered to, trusted in, and relied on God. And this was accounted to him as righteousness, as conformity to God's will in thought and deed. And he was called God's friend. You see that a man is justified, pronounced righteous before God through what he does, and not alone through faith, through works of obedience as well as by what he believes. Verse 25, so also with Rahab the harlot, was she not shown to be justified, pronounced righteous before God by good deeds when she took in the scouts' spies and sent them away by a different route or route? Verse 26, for as the human body apart from the spirit is lifeless, so faith apart from its works of obedience is also dead. And we're going to look at this section of passage in next week's program. In the meantime, if you would like us to pray for you, our website is touchofgod.world, T-O-G dot world, and our phone number is country code 1-407-705-3151. That's country code 1-407-705-3151. And until next week, you have a blessed week. Amen.